0: what is up ladies and gentlemen welcome to the ngo fish podcast it is steven ostentoski here joined with the dynamic duo himself harry hillman harry happy sunday happy weekend how's your uh how's your sunday is it a lazy sunday for you like it has been for me
1: uh no actually this has been one of my busiest days of like the year wow. um and by year i mean like the last like 40 days the quarantine year (laughs) it feels like a year
0: (laughs) work done okay that's good that's good man when you get into that productive mindset you're like oh i i actually got some stuff done i got you know actually accomplished something today where i've just been like walking around the neighborhood um drinking a lot of coffee um but hey you you know everyone's days are different these days so but yeah welcome to the mgo fish podcast again it's it's you know, we gotta, I gotta talk to, I feel like I haven't talked to David in years. <laughs> gotta get him involved on one of these. Um, but happy to be here. Happy to be talking to you again. I know it's been probably about a week and a half. We have, uh, some Patterson talk. We got some commitments, uh, a decommitment to talk about as well. And then we'll touch on, uh, latest episode of Recruit Review, uh, that I just released yesterday. Um, so let's let's jump right into some Shea Patterson talk. There were some false reports earlier this this last week that he was signed by the New York Giants. That was uh, that was false information, as it turned out. He was signed today, as of what is it, May third. He was signed today by the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and just some, I mean, it, it's always been a weird fascination with Shea Patterson, both from the media and from Michigan fans, and fans across the country. Um, but what's, what's your take, Harry on Shea Patterson's fit at Kansas city, as well as kind of the reaction that we've seen
1: on Twitter and, and from the media overall. Listen, I like Shea Patterson, but if, if he takes Chad Henney's job, I have a vendetta <laughs> against him. Uh, my, my beautiful oldest child, Chad Henney should be safe. He is the perfect backup. Um, and he's, he's trying to catch Brady in, in Super Bowl rings. So uh, got one last year. A lot of people call him the, um, the straw that stirs the drink. <laughs> at, um, at, in Kansas City, a lot of people think it's Pat Mahomes. It's really Chad Henney's clipboarding abilities. But, um, <laughs> you know, on, on a serious note, I think that there's a lot of discourse on Shay Patterson that's led by a couple of accounts negatively on Twitter that seem to have a vendetta against him. Uh, Matt Miller at NFL draft scout um fuck you um <laughs> whoa <laughs>
0: he's
1: he's like the worst at it um he's like a like a baby about it um he like he him and Barrett Sly Barrett Salee, like I or Sally like yeah, at least yeah. Barrett's like you can I can see like why he hates Shea Patterson because like he's a big SEC guy and SEC guys tend to not like like old miss yeah So, like, I get it, but I um like, just going through, like, even before Shea Patterson played a game at Michigan, Matt Miller at NFL Draft Scout tweeted, Shea Patterson shouldn't be allowed to wear number two. And then this year, Shea Patterson just really isn't accurate. January, I try to find a silver lining about every player. But I have nothing today for Shea Patterson. He struggled with accuracy, had no zip to power through in when throwing into it. I don't think he's draftable, okay? I'm just glad Shea Patterson isn't wearing number 20 anymore. That was a week before he tweeted he shouldn't be allowed to wear number two. So make up your mind. Should it be two? Should it be 20? Um, Now, also, we gave Shea Patterson a lot of shit early on in the season, but he settled in very nicely and is a dangerous threat in the Michigan offense. Two weeks after that, basically bashing Shay Patterson again. It's like like they're clearly guys and what it looks like to me and feel free to correct me if you think I'm like wrong, but it feels like Shay Patterson a little bit of like maybe not the easiest guy in the world to deal with. Maybe probably just doesn't want to spend time with media members, probably blew him off a bit. Um that's probably where a lot of this stems He was a a solid, pretty good quarterback for Michigan. Definitely didn't live up to the hype. But if you were to tell me, like, he doesn't belong on an NFL roster, an NFL 90-man roster, like, I think that's, like, so, like, BS. Like, he absolutely belongs on a 90-man roster. Yeah. So, it's like, he's allowed to, like, he deserves his shot to go to training camp and improve himself. and. You know what? Like, he had to mix through a couple different offenses at Michigan. I don't think he's going to be, like, a star in the NFL by any stretch of the imagination. But the people that just have been, like, waiting like and, like, holding back to, like, bash him and, like, just do whatever to, like, make him look bad. It's, like, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. Like, he, he wasn't, like, awesome, but he was pretty good. I think he's, like, third in Michigan history in touchdown passes in a single season. Yeah, It's, like, he's pretty solid. Yeah, okay. he
0: he makes a lot of Michigan's top 10 like overall lists, I think both single season and career in terms of yeah. like he makes a lot of those lists in terms of yardage, um like overall completions. Um so like I, like yeah, he he's not going to be talked on like, you know, the list of the best Michigan quarterbacks ever but he was really like, he was solid. He had some very clear deficiencies, pocket presence. You know, he had some uh, inability or or not willing to run in situations that we wanted him to. But like you said, he was also in a couple different offenses led by different coordinators and in rotating regimes. He didn't ever get Michigan to, you know, a title or beyond the big 10, which obviously people are mad about. And, I think it for the fan base. It just it always makes sense when you have a he McCaffrey
1: at home. What's that? It's true. He only lost one game at home. Yeah, played yeah. State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, all at home. The only team he lost to was one of the best college football teams in college football history yeah. at home. That's it. Like, yeah.
0: yeah. So, so, like, I get it I get it from the fan standpoint just because people are pissed off that we haven't beat Ohio State. And, yeah. like, I get it, but, like, it, it doesn't make it any less frustrating to see it from the fan base. It's from the media that I just don't understand. Like, I get it from fans because fans are irrational. Fans just – the quarterback is the easiest position to point at when the offense isn't at the highest of – isn't meeting expectations. And then when you're, you know, the top – or the top quarterback out of your class and you don't live up to that with a championship or with a 10 win season, then sure. The only place you can go is down. And that's unfortunately the, the path that, uh, that Patterson went on. So I get it from a fan standpoint, they didn't live up to expectations, but it seems like these media guys put like a huge, like they tried to call him and Shea Patterson just gave the finger to every single person and punch their dog in the throat like that that's the sense i get from these tweets from like barrett sally barrett sally i don't know how to pronounce his name i don't really care but he he tweet he tweeted like this will be the second time that what's his name jordan, jordan.
1: Uh, I'm yeah
0: that that he'll beat him in like for his qb spot or whatever he tweeted as a reply and then tweeted that same thing in a quote retweet like he's like oh this is so good I need to mm-hmm. send this out again. And it's like, what is going on with this dudes? I I don't understand the fascination with putting down a what? 22 year old, 23 year old that hard. It just is so childish. And it's honestly embarrassing for people in the position of like an NFL or collegiate athlete reporter. Like that mm-hmm. it's, it's embarrassing more than anything else.
1: Um, Considering how good Jordan Ta'amu is, mm-hmm. Jordan Ta'amu in 12 games as a starter, 19 touchdowns at Ole Miss. Shea Patterson, um, the year before, in seven games as a starter, 17 touchdowns. So it's like, no. no.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's a strange combination of things. It's, it's maybe a couple of guys who are like this guy's overrated out of high school and just feel like they need to be validated now as a part of it. You know, if someone transfers from SEC, they take it personally for some strange reason. The combination of the, uh, the uh, kind of obsession with the media overall to put down Michigan and how much fun and how much attention that gets. So a combination of all of those things, I feel like just creates kind of the perfect storm for it. And it is, uh, it's just frustrating and kind of discouraging to see. It's like, man, why would anyone ever want to go to like a high profile? Like, I, I more feel bad for Patterson because the dude's trying. Like, yeah, I, you know, I've had interactions with Patterson, nothing but good things from the guy. So, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't get it. And you yeah, know, overall, just,
1: just like, what, what's it to you, man? Yeah. Like, if he. Like, if – like, let's just say Shea Patterson absolutely washes out in the NFL and it's like, let's say, like, I don't know, he goes to Canada and then gets into coaching or something and he's never really heard from. Like, are we going to give Barrett, like, Salee and, like, Matt Miller, like, merit badges for saying, like, he was bad? Right. Like, (laughs) like, are we going to – are they going to get, what, like, an extra nine followers for saying, like, hey, this undrafted quarterback – I said he wasn't going to be very good. Yeah. Like, I said this undrafted quarterback wasn't going to make the roster. It's like, congratulations. Cool. <laughs> and it's like, like what do you want from this? Like, what are you looking to gain? It's like, if, if it was just as simple as, I think Shea Patterson regressed at Michigan, I don't think he has an NFL caliber arm, but it'll be interesting to see like what he's able to do in Andy Reid's system, then it's like okay, like sure, I, I'd agree with those things. Sure. the the um, the ideolo- the ideology that they have in, in terms of trying to to make it like a personal issue, it, right. it just confuses me because yeah. I've always how I've always tr- like formed my opinion of people in in how they treat people that that can't or don't do anything for you. Right. And it's and it's if if Shea Patterson refuses to play along with these little games, like in the media. And that's what they are. They are games, yeah. right? It's, it's, it's no question. that guys like Matt Miller and Barrett Sully, like pump up coaches and players that give them more access. Right. Yeah. And that's fine. Like that's, that's a normal human interaction. Right. But it's, if you're like dogging Shea Patterson, because he didn't do that, then you are essentially saying because he didn't help you out, like, you think less of him, and that's not right, especially, like, as these, like, grown men in media. So, like, Shane Patterson has been in the spotlight since he was 16 years old. Like, right. I don't blame him for being, like, very tentative around the media because he understands how it works. He understands, like, the game they're all trying to play. Right. So, like, like I get it. I've never had any personal interaction with him. But it, so if he's, like... I don't know, a little prickly towards the media, I get it. But it's, like, this, this personal vendetta against him is just asinine to me. Yeah. Like, what, like, what are they trying to gain from it? Like, like it, it really, at the end of the day, and, and this is something, like, I genuinely believe, I think a lot of these guys are, like, saying things strictly to increase interactions with, like, one of the larger fan bases. It's yeah. so, like, Stuart Mandel does the same shit, but at least his shit – It's like, okay, I mean, I guess he's kind of right, even though he's like being a prick.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's like if you don't take it to that personal level, you don't get the interactions. Right. So if you look at the number of engagements on a tweet, that's like like a insult or like a personal dig where take the former where you're like, I think Patterson has too many limitations to be successful at NFL level. A lot of people would be like, yeah, you're probably right. And you get. You know, say a thousand interactions on that tweet or impressions mm-hmm. from that tweet. If you say, "Oh, it's going to be a second time losing to this guy in a QB battle," that bumps it up to like five thousand, and you're selling your what feels like integrity or your your you're selling that for engagements. And you're right that yep. that's likely what it feels like. But uh but yeah, it's it's those kind of people that I uh, I want to block. On Twitter, and again, it's the same thing where half, if not more than half of the engagements of those added engagements are people saying, wow, look how terrible this person is. But that's still an engagement, right? So it's it's that paradox of you don't want to give these people the attention because of the things they're doing, but you also want to point out how terrible of a person they're being. So it's it's always yeah. such a frustration where it's like I want to mute this person, but I also – want people to understand that this is unacceptable behavior, but again, it's
1: it's that paradox that doesn't seem to have an answer. But uh, yeah, it, you seem to have a much better grasp on how to handle these people in a healthy light than I do. I'll I'll typically like with Matt Miller I usually like to bring up like his big misses when he's like, oh, penciling Jake Fromm is QB1 in like 2020 yeah. during the SEC championship game. And it's like, hey, remember when you like pre-penciled this guy in and then, like, unpencil them in when Alabama's backup came in mm-hmm. and won the championship. It's, like, just the reactionary shit to get engagements and, like, look good and be first on, like, anything. I think it's genuinely, like, adding this level of toxicity in new discourse around different college football programs. Yeah.
0: Yep. I hear you.
1: I hear you. I don't, I don't know
0: what the what the best solution is. But I think we're we're in agreement that these people don't deserve the light of day with with these sorts of. Uh... Oh, I
1: know I know the best solution. It's it's delete Twitter. Yeah, that's fair. It's like, <laughs> the best solution. It's one I'm never going to live by. Right. But like it's it's easily the best solution. Yeah. Just delete Twitter.
0: Then they're uh, <laughs> then they're just tweeting like to these, the void.
1: <laughs> none of these people actually matter. That's All true. their value is intrinsically given, and like I'm at fault of that too. Sure. But it's like if you just delete Twitter. You then, and if, like, let's just say you deleted Twitter and I'm like, hey, did you see what this Twitter draft scout said about Shea Patterson? You'd be like, why would I care about what some, like, random dude on Twitter says about Shay Patterson? Like, That's fair. Of course not. It's like, <laughs> yeah, Twitter's a toxic website that I'm addicted to.
0: <laughs> here first. You heard it here first. Harry, addicted to Twitter. Most of us, I think, can uh, can attest to that as well. All right, Harry, let's shift From Patterson here, let's talk about some recent commitments to the University of Michigan. I have three uh, lined up here that I want to discuss. Uh, All in kind of the mid to late April timeline here. You had TJ Guy, uh, weak side defensive end out of Massachusetts. You had, uh, and that was on the 17th of April. You have Jaden McBurrows, cornerback out of St. Thomas Aquinas. And then on the 28th, uh, Marcus Allen. So that was a guy out of Ohio, I think Clayton, Ohio, um, 6'2", 190-pound wide receiver. So he came, yeah, I said late April there. So let's first talk about uh, TJ Guy, um, 6'4", 240. I mentioned Massachusetts. He's a guy who had some ACC offers. Virginia, I think, was in there. Um, Some lower end. Boston College was around there as well. Generic three-star, 700 uh, overall. Range was his ranking. Um, I want you to give me your kind of uh, your scouting of him based on his film. Obviously, he he hasn't gone to a lot of camps that we've seen. Um, So he's a guy who's new to football, only started once he got to high school. So
1: what do you see from his film that either you like or dislike, Harry? So he's a tough and physical football player. Um, I think he's a little underscouted probably closer to like the four to 500 range and the six to 700 range. Um, But not like drastically. So I think I may have mentioned this on another pod, but um, my opinion of him is sort of, I kind of group him in like this whole um, slightly oversized end that could be slid into a three or five technique Um, in terms of you get guys that are between 6'4", 6'5", and then, like, between 230 and 260 pounds, T.J. Guy, Dom Giediche, Chris Jenkins, uh, Gabe Newberg, all of these just, like, molds of clay, for lack of a better term. And the, the nice thing is, is the versatility there. If they gain weight and keep athleticism, you've got a really good defensive tackle prospect. If they just get stronger and like put on weight, you have a very solid, um, anchor, um, rotational guy at anchor, nothing special, but a guy that can like play good hard snaps probably from his red shirt sophomore year on. So I think it's really a, um, like a low risk flyer. I would almost expect him cause I don't think he's a, like a tremendous athlete. Uh, he's okay. So obviously he's a tremendous athlete to be, a big 10 division one football player. Sure. Right. So when I say tremendous athlete, I am saying in, in terms of, of the spectrum of big 10 division one football players, he's not towards the top end of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas like you're a Sean Gary's or chase young's absolute absurd athletes, sure. but he's someone that I think is a much better athlete. And I feel the same way about Dom Giediche is if they were interior linemen, I think they're much better athletes for the interior than the perimeter. Yeah. And so I kind of grouped them together in terms of, I think Jim Harbaugh and Don Brown are looking to get better on the interior. And instead of just recruiting six foot four, 360 pound nose tackles. Oh, that's what we were, I was going to bring up on this. Remember last time I was going to find my chart. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I'll let you go. while I look for this, but, I project him to play a three technique. I think he'll be very good at it too.
0: Yeah. I think uh I think he needs to be there. So the issue I saw and there were a couple. I didn't see a consistent elite first step where mm-hmm. a lot of guys in the past where it's like, uh oh, this guy could really be a disruptor in the middle. That's something that, you know, obviously Mohurst had that was very valuable. Early on, despite size, and that's something that I think transcends size whether you're 240 pounds, which I think is right around where guy is now or two eighty two ninety that kind of stays there that first initial step I didn't see it consistent I think he flashed it, but I think a big part of that and he was knocked a little bit for being a little too high didn't have that quote unquote bend that a lot of people talk about so I saw that as well. He did show good speed, good acceleration once he got into the backfield. I didn't see him using his hands very well to dispatch people on the rush. I think a big, big thing that not a whole lot of people took into consideration is he played both ways. So he was on the offensive line and defensive line. That takes it out of you. So there were some knocks on his effort and overall. So I I saw a tweet from Mason Brew about that, and TJ Guy replied to it saying – exactly what i just said that he played both ways but he also said you're right i'll take this and work on it so that shows a lot that's you know for a <laughs> high schooler to be able to take criticism like that and take it with with that sort of level-headed approach that shows that shows willingness to be coached to be improved upon so that's good for his overall floor it's just the ceiling where I, I need i think i need him to be at a three tech i didn't see what i wanted to see from like a true defensive end could be wrong and a, a big a guy I always look at when I'm looking for these defensive linemen out of New England is Pay. and I don't know if you remember Pay's film he was out of Rhode Island he was 6'4 260 um, so he had about 20 pounds on on, uh, on TJ Guy and they used Quitty Pay as a running back. He was deployed as a running back and defensive end, so he played both ways and he was a mauler. Again, it's Rhode Island, so of course he's going to stand out, but that was an athleticism that I don't really see with TJ Guy and mm-hmm. now we still I mean we see Pay as, you know, right around that size 6'4", 6'5", 280 or so. So he was very much at the weak side defensive end, so there is less projection there. So I'm a little concerned just about TJ guy and how I feel like he needs to get to three tech and how much time it'll take for him to get there. So I think Mm -hmm. he's definitely a project. I think he can get there. I like his mindset based off of that tweet. Um, but, but I'm not as confident with my projection of him as I was with, uh, some other guys out of the, uh, the Northeast.
1: Yeah. He's probably my, and when I say okay, – saying least favorite kind of gives the negative connotation in terms of like I don't like him. I think he's a solid prospect. I don't see the same ceiling in him as I did Lewis Hansen or Greg Crippen or some of the other guys we've gotten out of the Northeast. I think he's got a pretty limited ceiling. Yep. And I think that ceiling somewhere in the Ryan Van Bergen range. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. and And – And I
0: generally really, really like the people that we get out of the Northeast. And overall, I think we've hit at quite a good rate out of that. So even though I say, like, you know, he's not – I don't like him as much. He can still be a quality contributor. It's Mm -hmm. just exactly what you said is ceiling that I'm not sure about. And I think I need him at three tech in order for him to really realize that ceiling.
1: I I agree. I think he's – I think if you, like were to put him at the the anchor role, I think he probably is maybe a one- or two-year starter, maybe a seventh-round pick or undrafted free agent. But that moving him on the interior and keeping uh, the athleticism he does have, because he is an athletic guy. You mentioned you didn't really see the bend. I I agree with you. But I also – he doesn't play for, like, an incredibly, like, elite, like, program out of Massachusetts. Um, they're really good they won the state title last year but all things considered they probably don't have the same level of competition to like force him into having to like have that bend so it's kind of like a tricky little thing where it's like yeah it's super important but there are a lot of guys that don't have it and I do think he has the potential to um, like have that hip bend I, I don't see a lack of hip fluidity in him I just see lack of using it which uh, for a high school player that's so new to the game, I think he's played varsity football for a year and a half, two years now. It's like, OK, I, I see knowing he started so late actually makes me feel a lot better because I have a funny feeling if we were to look at his sophomore film and his junior film, I bet you there'd be a pretty substantial leap.
0: That's a good point. Yeah, it's a good point. How Knowing how, okay. I guess, the lack of length of his, his career thus far is a big... Uh, big thing to point out in terms of his development and his, <laughs> his overall growth. So that could, that definitely makes the ceiling a bit higher than if it was someone who's been playing football forever, you know? Yeah. So.
1: If it was like almost a finished product, yeah. I'd say, uh, okay, I, I get it. But I mean, there are a lot of things that you, you can't see on film and, and this is going to sound really cliche, but work ethic is one of them. That is. Work ethic is something that you cannot see on film. Um, And I know for a fact, like this is something I know for a fact, there have been really talented football players that Michigan has, I don't want to say begrudgingly because they're really talented, but guys that really didn't have great work ethics, but were really talented that Michigan felt compelled to take because of the recruiting ranking bullshit. And it feels like Jim Harbaugh is building a roster more similarly to his um, second phase in Stanford. It, it feels like he is getting his guys. Yeah. And, and I'm okay with that. I'm um, if like you're trying something different um, because we've said it before, you're not going to out recruit Ohio state. Yeah. You're not like they are probably over the last 50 years. They are the like pinnacle of what it means to be in like college football. I think they've had two losing seasons in that time. And one of them was the Luke Fickle, like clusterfile. Yep. So it's like an elite program.
0: Yeah. And if you're not at that level, you have to do things differently. And doing things differently is hitting on your lower end recruited guys. And there's not that much difference between a guy rated at 300 and 700. The difference is how well is he going to fit in your program <laughs> and, and and how, yeah, and how well will you develop him into that role within your program? So that's, yep. that's the approach you have to take.
1: And I think it's it's also I think important to understand that there are I think defensive line and offensive line are the two positions least correlated with like star rating and success. Obviously there is some, but from everything I've seen and um our friends over at MGO blog, ace and bender, he um he shared it a a year or so ago. But I think cornerback is the position that, that has the most consistency between um, star rating and success because it's the one that's most uh, reliant on pure athleticism.
0: Yeah. Yep. And there's not as much projection in terms of weight and overall strength building. You are who you are at, at that uh, position. And and the role is pretty, uh, pretty similar, right? It's not like wide receiver where you can be deployed in a bunch of different ways. Cornerback, you're just covering a guy and you did that from high school. You'll do that all the way through college and like you said, it's strictly based on athleticism. So do you want to talk to your chart
1: now or do you want to go to the uh, Jaden J- McBurrow? J- McBurrow? Because I just realized I-, I have like some of the defensive and info, but the chart was actually offensive linemen. So okay. guys like Quinn Williams, um, just elite defensive uh, tackles. of the defensive tackles drafted in the first three rounds of the NFL draft between 2016 and 2018, uh, actually 2016 and 2019, they were not defensive tackles coming out of high school. Interesting. 38% um, were in the top 10 in their class. So there's, I think, three prospects that – like circumvent that and I think it's Larry who mm. who is like six to like 320 going to like Charlotte yeah and it, that's a flyer of all flyers and he developed terrifically and like two other guys from I think division two schools that hmm. like they were way too heavy out of high school but then developed it so it's when you look at how deep like high quality defensive tackles are made you're not getting six four, three hundred and fifty pound guys very often. You're getting a lot of six five, two fifty guys. Right. I think Michigan probably is recruiting a lot more similarly to the Iowas and the Wisconsins of the world, and I would say that's probably intentional.
0: Yep. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, let's uh let's move on to Jaden McBurrows. This is a five ten, hundred and sixty five pound or hundred seventy five pound cornerback, depends on who you ask there. But he's cornerback out of St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, one of the top uh, programs in the nation out of Florida. He's a three-star, ranked around 625 nationally overall, and around 40 to 50 range cornerback in the 2021 class. So he recently committed, like I said, uh, late April. Uh, he's a guy who had some offers. So it depends on who you ask on which of these were committable but he had bama baylor florida state georgia lsu osu lots of big 10 teams uh that's still a good offer list it gets yeah. the sense of a of a guy who a lot of teams wanted just maybe as a second option behind you know maybe their top 100 or you know 150 overall corner um he is first team all state um and I think he'll, he'll edge up to the four-star status, maybe in the 300 to 350 range. He seems extremely underrated at 625 mm. for being All-State in one of the toughest divisions in Florida. You know, they're a nationally reputed program. So for him to, to show that, um, 625 doesn't really make sense to me. But Harry, what, what are your thoughts about Jane McBurrows? What do you see in his film?
1: Uh, I don't have a ton of thoughts, but the like I think he's I think I agree with everything you said. He was a starter and an all-state player on a 15 and 0 nationally ranked St. Thomas Aquinas team, um, and he ran an 11.01 in the 100 meter dash. That's elite. Um, that's that's an elite speed as a junior. It's not like Olympic level speed, but it's elite. So he's a burner. He's an athlete. Uh, he's got good athleticism, he's got solid hips. And the offer that, that I'm actually most impressed with that he has is Utah. Hmm. Utah does a great job of finding and developing great defensive backs um, almost out of necessity. Yeah. It, it feels like what you do with Iowa tight ends. If a Utah like target has a, is like being targeted as a defensive back, like, that's a good sign. They just had three defensive backs taken this year. Um, they had two more last year. Their entire secondary from two years ago has been drafted. And for a school like Utah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, Jalen Johnson, I think, was the, the star of this year. He was a, a second-rounder, I believe, to the Bears. Um, Utah's great. So knowing that Utah wanted him makes me feel a lot better. I would say, like you said, with the Alabamas and the Ohio State's, I'm sure they offered. I would bet that they probably weren't immediate takes. Yeah. Probably something where, like, maybe that he was, like, one or two slots down, or if they missed out on a couple guys, which is likely, they would have taken him.
0: Yeah. He seems like a guy that a big program like that would love to have late in the cycle, right? Like, a guy they want to convince to, like, hold on, we'll, like— this will be committable. We just need to ensure that, you know, this top 50 national guy
1: where like, they're not going to take him over the number 38 ranked player in the class, but they like him enough that probably like two weeks before signing day, they try and flip it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, to be on that big of a program with that sort of limelight that they get St. Thomas Aquinas and for him to not only excel, but be all state, And I, that shows a lot to me. So his floor is already extremely, uh, extremely high for me. So I think it's a great pickup and people are upset that, and we can get to this later, but the defense for the 2021 class still doesn't have a recruit inside the top 500 nationally. And that's, that's fair. I mean, I'd like to see more than that, but, uh, but this is a guy that, that should be in the 400 range, um, at least I think he, you don't get to be all state at that level of program without, with that athleticism, without like something's missing. And I don't think he attended many camps. So many, of that's an, maybe that's a knock on him for being, you know, part of a big program without the camp appearances. So there's lots of factors that I think could, could contribute to that. But, uh,
1: but I, I love the pickup. I guess. Yeah. I think, I think people are afraid he's a little smaller than 5'10. Really, man. I think I think since he hasn't been to camps, I don't think people are as willing to put him uh, that high up without knowing definitively how big he is. That's fair. I yeah. think I think he he I think he is five ten, but Saint Thomas Aquinas and the level of competition in Florida. I mean, there's a ton of guys that are six two, six three that can make someone five ten look five eight. Yeah. So I think that there's a little bit of hesitance there where it's not necessarily a skill set, but it's more so like we're not as aware. I mean, his highlight tape has a lot of defensive touchdowns. It's true. Yeah. And those are highlight tapes. You're not seeing him get burned on highlight tapes. Yeah. But And that's a good point. I mean, we talked to Andre Seldon the
0: uh the last podcast, and it's almost a point where it's like, Yeah, I'm short and I'm gonna prove to you <laughs> that I can still compete. So if you only have highlight tape and you don't go to camps where you're proving it against, you know, the the top whatever recruits, then the default is maybe going to be a little bit lower because uh especially for cornerback where it's your the the bad film is more important than the good film. So when all you're seeing are highlights and you don't see the in-person camp film, there's it could be a little bit scary there. So I think, I think that's fair. Um, but if there's a guy who I would bet would jump by 200 plus spots by the time that he gets to campus, gets to a college
1: program, um, it would probably be him. Um, I would say that in most years, I, I wouldn't feel as comfortable saying that this year, just because of all the Ooh, good point. Um, but I agree with you. He fits that mold. And and like you are saying off of defensive backs, like, The highlights look so much better compared to like the lowlights that I I genuinely have no comparison for this guy right now. I haven't seen enough of him. It's like I I don't know, yeah. But it's like the the measurables are there where I feel comfortable with him being uh, a bullet in the chamber. Yeah.
0: Yep. Okay. And then let's talk about final guy who committed uh, most recently. He's a uh, three star. A wide receiver out of Clayton, Ohio, around 500th nationally, six-two, one hundred and ninety. 190. Uh, this is Marcus Allen talking about here. Um, he's a guy who had a good number of Power 5 offers. He had Wisconsin, Purdue, Michigan State, I think, was one of his first offers. He also had some offers from West Virginia, Wake Forest, Syracuse, um, and then a slew of MAC offers as well. So he, he's a guy who had over 1,000 a, a yards as a junior against – uh division 1 talent out of the state of Ohio. So um you know I know you you watched a lot of film on him. Uh Harry, what have you seen from Marcus Allen that you really like? Um any deficiencies that you saw in his film? Um I'll be honest, I didn't see a whole lot, so I'm interested to see uh to hear your take about the skill set he brings.
1: Yeah, so I think he's Sort of in the uh Jack of All Trades department where he's he's pretty solid at everything. Yeah. But like there's no real um um area that I would say he's elite in. Yeah. He's not an elite athlete. He's got really good hands, he's a solid athlete. He's strong, he's got a big frame, he's a solid route runner. He's really solid at a lot of things. Definitely an underrated uh, commit in my mind but not so much where it's like oh my goodness this guy should be like I thought when I saw Jess Percy and RJ Moten like these guys should be two to three hundred spots higher like with him it's yeah he's probably in the four to five hundred range um, he reminds me a lot of the uh, receiving duo uh, Darbo and Chesson a couple of years ago where neither of those guys were deep burners, but you could pretty consistently count on them for your 12 to 15-yard uh, comebacks. Uh, they were solid red zone targets. They were solid matchups. Like, the, I think the problem is not that he has any deficiencies. It's that he doesn't have any skill set that makes him, like, an extreme matchup problem.
0: Yeah, it's it, he didn't, like, flash a vertical at that height that made you be like, whoa, this guy's going to go crazy. He, he probably has like a mid like four or five, you know, maybe a high four or five, eight or so 40 time. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, he, he seemed to do a lot of things really well. Just nothing elite. If he had like elite athleticism or not athleticism, elite like acceleration or, or, vertical ability he would be probably a, a mid to high four star but like you said he he does a lot of things well he just doesn't stand out and it seems like uh he kind of like snuck up on people where it's like yep, yeah, that's a good wide receiver and then they kind of threw a rank on him so it's a guy who who to me seems like he'll have another high floor what do you remember what uh cornelius johnson was rated overall i think he was 193
1: but he I was that look- high yeah, he, he jumped after the um All Star Games.
0: Okay. I I I did he, not remember that. Two
1: four seven game are really, really uh favorable. And I agreed with that, by the way. I think that's another good um kind of comparison because they're very similar frames. So Cornelius Johnson on the, the composite was one seventy five. Oh wow.
0: That's, that's uh, higher than I remember.
1: Yeah. But if you look at the history, he has like a two to three. Oh, I was born in the same town as Cornelius Johnson. That's cool. That's a fun fact. (laughs) So, yeah, around the same time, Cornelius Johnson um, was around 830 in his first ranking. Around the time that Marcus Allen committed, Cornelius Johnson was about 350. Okay. So he took some pretty significant jumps. And then... Took another significant jump towards the end after the uh, combine. Sure. So I think that's probably a player comp that I think would work really, really well. Yeah. Um, another guy I liked as a as a solid comp was Oliver Martin. Ooh, interesting. Oliver Martin had, had a very similar profile. Like he was he was four twenty on uh, two four seven around this time last year. Cornelius Johnson was. Or yeah. Or, years ago. Whatever.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's a. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm interested to see him. I think it's a guy we desperately need it just because we we took a ton of slot backs in the 2020 class and no true outside ride receivers. So oh, it's, we took one. We took one.
1: Yeah, Quintel Kent. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Unfortunately, he is probably never going to play football, which is really sad.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, so I'll, I'll rephrase that, that we don't have anyone who will likely be, uh, filling that spot since, mm-hmm. uh, since Cornelius Johnson. So, so outside wide receiver is definitely a, a place of need. Um, I mean, I think with the way that Michigan's offense is moving, it's not as big of a, you know, a spot cause now the room is so crowded at kind of slot back that there's a lot of those guys like Ronnie Bell who could very well be an outside wide receiver, um, if it, if he needs to be so, um, but I really like the skill set that Marcus Allen has, and and his ball skills especially in the red zone, I think will be um, will be pretty useful down the line. So um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. I, I like these kind of high high floor guys mm-hmm. in both Jane McBurrows and Marcus Allen. I think TJ Guy is more of a reach and, and definitely more of a project than the other two. But um, I'm not like the floor is or the floor is falling out with these guys with these takes that you know obviously Michigan uh Twitter uh sometimes likes to to have just looking at the numbers alone so it'll be interesting with with covid and the lack of camps and you know the uncertainty about how how these guys will be scouted moving forward of if they'll have any movement but um I I like I like these gets and I I'm I'm pretty excited about them so so let's move on here to uh the opposite side of this. So Michigan recently had a decommit from 2022 cornerback uh Miles Rouser. He's he's out of Bell Belleville, uh Michigan, correct? Yeah. Uh yeah, I think so. And um the relationship to uh or relation to Andre Seldon there. So he's he's moving to uh IMG. That's where he's going to play uh his next season of football. So uh Honestly, I don't know a whole lot about this. I assume it's a thing where Michigan will still be in it moving forward since it is, you know, a 2022 uh, recruit and could just be a guy who wants to look around. So can't really fault him for that uh, with Michigan still having Andre Seldon. And I think Seldon is going to be a guy who who stands out over the next couple of years. That could very well play to Michigan's advantage moving forward with Rouser here. But I, I want to get your take on that, that. Uh, Harry. What are your thoughts about Rouser decommitting committing
1: and uh, the path with him moving forward? Well, first off, it, it stinks that yeah. a real football player is like, yeah, I'm not going to stay committed. <laughs> but I think if you were to look at it realistically and pragmatically, a guy committed that committed that early, that is going to school now in a different state, in a completely different area – it probably makes the most sense that he has the opportunity to fully look at his own options and see what he likes. Something that was encouraging to me was how quiet his decommitment was. It kind of just happened. There was no like big announcement. There was no like flirting with other schools. He was kind of just like, yeah, um, we're still close with Michigan, but I want to just take my visits. And I think that's probably the best way because had he just stayed committed and not taken any visits – it seems like a a scenario that that would be high likelihood of a flip. Right. So, you know, I would say Michigan is still probably in the driver's seat. Um, I would say that I think it's more likely than not that he ends up committing to Michigan, but there is certainly more uh, uncertainty now than there was two weeks ago. Um, He's Andre Seldon's younger brother, which gives them a massive head up. Um, Andre Seldon Sr., big-time Michigan fan. Andre Seldon Jr., um, really um, well-regarded incoming freshman. So I think it's um, – I think he'll end up at Michigan provided that nothing drastic happens. Yeah, Because I do think – I mean, and then from a, a completely like other perspective – Jim Harbaugh's contract does not run through Miles Rouser's enrollment. Right. Jim Harbaugh's contract is up after this year. I would expect that it gets renewed for at the bare minimum. So it doesn't look like he's a lame duck. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I would say it's disappointing that Ward Manuel hasn't done that already. Um. Or Jim Harbaugh hasn't. So I think, honestly, it is really smart not to commit to a school that even has this semblance of head coaching (gasps) uncertainty. Man, I got the hiccups today. (laughs) um, You know, I wouldn't worry too, too much. Uh, I mean, if you worry too much about guys this far out, you're going to go insane. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and it gives Michigan, like, the – it honestly could be an advantage for Michigan because given Rouser is the brother of Seldon, and obviously they'll be close. So if Rouser looking at different programs and there could be that negative recruitment against Michigan saying like, Hey, we don't even have, you know, the the confidence that Harbaugh will still be around without a, you know, new contract high likelihood that Michigan hears that back, you know, that, that teams could be using that against them. I'm sure they've already heard that, okay. but,
1: but I, I... I can give you some programs they've
0: done it. I'm sure. But uh, but that's, you know, again, a thing where it's like, okay, that could accelerate things and help get that to the solution where I would expect Rouser to have that relationship still and be able to provide that intel to Michigan, at least to Selden, who could relay that. So it, it's something, like you said, where I'd rather have a guy who's upfront and saying, I'm going to take a look at other programs. You know, I'm still not sure where I'm at. It's two years out. I want to be able to take a realistic look without feeling like I have to sneak around. So to do that, it gives Michigan opportunity to evaluate their future looks moving forward at the cornerback position. I'm sure they'll keep the relationship going, but exactly what you said, the low profile of the decommitment makes it seem like more of that scenario where I just want to look around and not necessarily flip versus, um, you know, doing so behind the scenes. So it makes everything up in the open. It's a very mature approach to it so I'm I'm all for it and if it
1: had to happen this is the way I would want it to. So mm-hmm. so yeah we'll we'll see with him and has good track records of uh safeties decommitting and then recommitting.
0: Yeah yeah not the not the worst track record so no
1: not the worst. So
0: so yeah we'll we'll see where that goes but overall um again sky's not falling on that. Um okay all right we got we got five ten minutes here uh want to talk about Eamon Dennis I covered him on episode 4 recently of recruit review here um he's a guy who I'm really really excited about he's uh coming from Massachusetts Don Brown territory out of Worcester Massachusetts St. John's High School he's a little uh little athlete out of Massachusetts 5'10 170 175 uh, ranked around five hundred nationally uh twenty to thirty range overall of all athletes in the twenty twenty class loved his film he's a guy who explodes out of the film he, he has a four point three three shuttle which is decent four point five two forty I think he plays faster than that and a forty even vertical so good athleticism extremely good vertical he was deployed as mainly a running back but also you know as the slot back kind of uh wide out h-back role um all over the place for uh for st john's high school there so i had my episode so obviously i'm I'm well versed in, in covering him i want to get your take and your both projection and comparison for Eman dennis harry
1: uh quick um what was your uh comparison.
0: So the first one was Mike still I don't see him playing that same role, so I would have to put him closer to Chris Evans.
1: Okay. I think um still was one of the big ones that jumped out. The one that that really um I'm gonna go cross racial comparison here, Steve. Okay. Unprecedented in territory. Sure. I think Drew Dilio with Eddie McDoom's athleticism. Weird.
0: <laughs> that's a weird that's a weird combo i i don't i don't
1: dislike it so drew my my thinking of it with drew dilio i think drew Dilio is a guy that um probably came along five years too early yeah he was a good slot guy did a lot uh was the p a t guy was a gunner he was a return man he was an upback on kick returns i think he played a little bit of uh h back too mm-hmm. uh i think he's Dennis, in terms of being the, the jack-of-all-trades guy, he's going to be someone that Michigan plays a lot, but maybe doesn't feature a ton.
0: See, I, man, I, I have a different take on him because okay. I do not want him at the slot back. I think...
1: Oh, I don't think slot back, but I think slot receiver with... um, I think he's someone... He's got really nice footwork. He's got really nice... Um, balance along the sidelines. I think on the um, post-fades and um, uh, other fade combos that Gaddis likes to run, Eamon Dennis is going to be someone that that you can rely on to get width and get depth and to be able to track the ball at its high point along the sidelines. See, the thing that –
0: I wasn't that impressed with his film as a wide receiver. I was impressed when he had the ball on screens and out of the backfield because his acceleration is what impressed me most. And he had very good speed through his cuts and he looked very natural with that. So he's more of a guy I want with the ball rather than throwing the ball down the field. So I want, I think he could be a true all purpose back just like Chris Evans. Really? Yeah. him, Him out of the backfield is way more valuable to me than as a slot back, and I want that featured heavily in terms of like little motions out of the backfield, getting him in the screen game from the backfield. I think that is where he w- will really make his mark, and I think it's also because Michigan has a lot of guys to fill the role you're kind of talking about otherwise, because you have Giles Jackson there already. St. Russell, who I think is was more polished out of high school, in the nuances of being a wide receiver, his routes were a little bit better than what I saw from Dennis. Um, And I didn't see, like, the acceleration or the make guys miss out of a phone book uh, from Saner still like I do from Dennis. So Dennis might be even closer to Jackson than Saner still for me. But I think if Dennis was, A, not in the Northeast, and B, deployed as a true, like, all-purpose back, I think he's, like top 300 nationally ranked easy okay
1: um I, I think in in terms of his ranking i i think i kind of agree with it in terms of i mean because he was what top 500 right mm-hmm, yeah yeah so he, he's top 500 so not a huge difference between like 300 and like 450 yeah, yeah um i think i think what i'm what i was really impressed with with him was his um i think his vision is terrific so i see what you mean in terms of liking him as an all-purpose back. Mm -hmm. I certainly wouldn't be upset if he filled in the the Chris Evans role, but just how nimble and and athletic he is when pressed along the sidelines, he's got these really quick explosive steps that I think will allow him to take advantage of bigger, longer wide receivers in certain scenarios. Uh, I didn't – great route running but in terms of his pure athleticism i I do think some of it has to do with the competition level that's fair Uh, so in terms of projecting it i don't think he'd be able to make guys miss as a running back as easily in massachusetts i mean in michigan as he did in uh prep school in massachusetts Mm -hmm. i don't think he has a frame that suits getting 15 to 20 touches a game as an all-purpose back whether they're in between the tackles, outside zone, or screens. Yeah. I would like him a lot more as kind of like that big play sort of, um, like, mini, like, Paris Campbell kind of guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. And the Drew Dillio aspect in, is with, like, I think Eddie McDoom's athleticism, but Drew Dillio is just someone that was able to insert himself in, like, every facet of the game. I think Eamon Dennis is going to be someone that, that is a terrific football player, but maybe doesn't uh, exceed 30 catches and 20 carries in any given year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting to project because there are just so many guys now in the room with almost the same exact size and profile. Mm -hmm. And they have just like such nuanced differences where like Sander still was a bit more polished in route running coming in, but not as like, Quick or jitter buggy as Giles Jackson, and then you have AJ Henning, who is a true you know top hundred, like mm-hmm. right, right around a hundred, like kind of. I think he should be a lot higher than that. I think yeah. Henning's a top thirty guy. Well, remember he got he got,
1: yeah. yeah,
0: he got hurt his uh his junior year, so there was a lot of worry about his speed uh going into his senior year. But um, he, he had like over twenty five touchdowns his senior year, so he's he's a guy who's going to be a guy. But yeah. but yeah. I mean so the room is crowded right now. And then you have also Roman Wilson, you got, uh, some other really quick guys coming, coming into that sort of slot back role. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see kind of where they all fall in. And, uh, if, you know, any of these guys actually shift to maybe cornerback, because even Dennis has experience there as well. So, so it'll be interesting. I, I I really like the get, um, with Eamon Dennis. I loved, I loved his film. So, um, it'll be exciting, but, uh, but all right, Harry, we're we right at about 55 minutes or so. Anything final you wanted to bring up here? Any comments at all? Anything you got for us here?
1: Um, Barrett Salee, come on the podcast, <laughs> Howard. Matt Miller, you are banned from the MGo Fish podcast. Wow. Mm. Banned. Banned. Matt Miller, banned. You're, not allowed. We you're... will not allow Matt Miller on this podcast, no matter how much he begs. He's been in my DMs begging. I will not cave. He will not be allowed on. He's, I would do, I would maybe maybe he'll come on after we get uh, Ari Wasserman after we grill him for a bit.
0: There you go. I keep
1: another one in my doghouse. I keep I keep vendettas. Um, uh, Ari Wasserman's got the vendetta too, and also it's going to be kind of funny in a couple years um, after Mel Tucker has a couple classes when. Michigan State just looks so much bigger on the perimeter because he's such a big frame guy Yeah, and clearly Gattis doesn't care as much and it's going to be really funny to watch like these 5'9 receivers just burning his 6'3 corners
0: <laughs> well you heard it here first if you're in Harry Hillman's doghouse he will not respond to your DMs so get on out of there
1: Mel Tucker get out of my DMs too <laughs> <laughs> wow. like you have Tucker been recruiting me heavily <laughs> be a Michigan State writer, I will not, I repeat, will not work with Mel Tucker.
0: That's good to hear. We're, we're happy to have you, Harry. Thank you for <laughs> turning that down. Thanks for joining me today. We'll, uh, you know, as always, stay safe out there, guys. Hope you guys had a good weekend. But beyond that, Harry, we'll, we'll talk hopefully later this week. Um,
1: later this week, I forgot forgot the, the biggest piece of news, Steve. What's that? Name, image, likeness. Oh, you're right. You're right. We get that exactly. we need to devote a whole episode to that. So I'm glad we skipped that.
0: We do. That,
1: that deserves its own episode because I think there are a lot of intricacies in it that we can cover. There maybe is. maybe that's how we get David on. Cuz he's a very opinionated on that. Him and I have gotten in some I don't want to say heated arguments, but some uh, discussions. Some discussion. There you and go. Maybe, maybe that's how we draw him back in.
0: Well, he's a lawyer guy too, so we can ask him all the fancy, you know, lawyerish questions sure. about what this means and I'm yeah. kind of a
1: lawyer. I You're mean kind I'm of a lawyer.
0: Well, then this is the perfect Motley crew, man. Perfect exactly. perfect group of guys to parse through it. All right, Harry. You stay safe out there. You, you, too, uh, Steve. you uh have a great rest of your weekend and we'll talk soon. All right. Talk soon, buddy. Enjoy your run. Appreciate it. All right. Go blue. Go blue, bud.